was a basket that had three eggs and one hundred one dollar bills. And so he turns to his wife and he says, Now why in the world is there a, a, a basket of eggs and one hundred one dollar bills in our closet? And his wife was sort of ashamed and she looked at him and said, Well, babe, I just wasn't going to tell you. She said, But every time you preach a bad sermon, I put an egg in the basket. And he thought to himself, Well, I've been preaching for 32 years and there's only three eggs in the basket, so I must be doing really good. She said, said, honey, every time you preach, uh, or every time I get a dozen, I sell them for a dollar. <laughs> I, uh, I hope that tonight we're not putting eggs in our basket as we leave this place. I hope tonight that as we study God's Word, we can draw some conclusions, draw some applications from the truths that are presented that we might grow in our knowledge uh, of God's dear Son. The topic that I was given tonight was truth. And he listed on the, or he listed on the, the pamphlet that I received 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 6 as the supporting verse where Paul makes a bold statement when he says, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. And I started to think about that wonderful text, but my mind was immediately drawn to John 18. I want you to turn to John 18. That's where we'll spend the remainder of our time this evening as we look at a particular application, I believe, of truth. Now, under the topic that was given to me, truth, there was this description. To proclaim God's Word as truth and how to apply that in our lives. I couldn't think of a better text than John 18 to develop that thought. To proclaim God's Word as truth and to apply that in our lives. Let's read John chapter 18 verse number 37 beginning. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then. Jesus answered, Thou sayest I am a king, to this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth hears my voice. Now read verse number 38 and underline this phrase. Pilate said unto him, What is truth? What a, what a marvelous yet profound statement that Pilate makes. What is truth? And that's exactly the idea we have before us this evening. What is truth? How, how, what time am I supposed to quit? About 20 after. 20 after. All right. Well, that'll work. Yeah, I think Barry did mention something sounding like the voice of God coming out of an intercom. If, if I did hear that, not to be worried. John chapter 18, 38, Pilate asked the question, what then is truth? This passage we have before us might have been, don't know for sure, but might have been the last intimate, personal uh, relationship that, that Jesus ever had with an individual before He was crucified. This was an exchange between Pilate and Jesus that, that really pushed two opposite agendas. Now Pilate, as we look at this uh, particular text, he comes across as very agitated. His response is almost cynical. He, he's one who's being sarcastic. And Jesus sees right through that. And he affirms these great truths in verse number 37 when Pilate asked him if he was a king. And he said, I was born for this. This was my whole purpose, to bear witness of the truth. And so the question is asked, what is truth? And, and I think really the attitude behind P 
Pilate is this. He, he, he sort of answers Jesus in a sarcastic way, ultimately saying, what is true to you, Jesus, might not be true to me. Like someone says, I say tomato and you say tomato. What's truth for you might not necessarily uh, be the truth for me. Pilate threw away probably the most glorious opportunity that he ever had to obey the truth, staring it right in the face, looking right into the face of the Son of God. Yet he turned, he chose to turn his attention away from the truth that was presented before him. I want to examine Pilate's question this evening. But I also want to point out 222 times in the Bible is the word truth mentioned. And 22 times is that found in the book of John. And so every point, every sub-point that we'll examine tonight is going to come directly from the book of John to answer the question, what is truth? First of all this evening, I want you to notice the perception of truth. The perception of truth as it pertains to John chapter 18. I graduated from Memphis School of Preaching, so I'll have three points and then I'll sit down. Number one, the perception of truth. Read with me again verse number 37. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? I want you to notice that phrase because Pilate's uh, question to Jesus led me to believe that that Pilate really had no uh, true grasp on the truth. He didn't really understand exactly what Jesus was about. Maybe he had been jaded by all of the empty philosophies that were floating around in his day. Maybe he had a misunderstanding of what truth was actually supposed to be and so he thought it was unknowable, unattainable, that true or absolute truth rather could never ever be achieved. And and I think Pilate is very similar to people that we reach in our day. People that we knock on their doors, people that are co-workers to us, they have this idea that truth, absolute truth, is unknowable, unattainable. No one can ever come to a point where they know absolute truth. In a recent survey I read that 67% of adults in America believe that there is no such thing as absolute truth. Even further and much worse, 52% of people who profess to be Christians say that truth is relative. That is, that truth or or something means one thing to you and it means a different thing to me. Have you ever heard that when you're defending the truth? Oh, that's just what you believe. That's just what you interpreted from that passage. That's not what that meant. That's exactly how Pilate responds in this way. What then is truth, Jesus? There's no way you can actually know what the truth is, Pilate had the wrong perception of truth. They can believe what they will, they can say what they will, but Jesus himself stated there is absolute truth. Notice verse 37. For this cause I was born, for this cause I came into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. That word translated truth there gives the idea of something that which is accurate. Under any circumstance, in any matter, truth is always going to be truth. For instance, if I told you that there was something called the law of gravity, and you say, no, Ty, there's nothing called the law of gravity. What goes up must come down. That's just what you think truth is. And then later on, as you were thinking about that, you decided to get a ladder and climb up on the top of Savannah Church of Christ, and you jumped off. You would quickly find out that there is absolute truth in the law of gravity. What goes up must come down. And then you would realize that what I said was actually right. 
Maybe I said to you that rocks are hard, water is wet, and grass is green. And they say, no, no, to me, rocks are soft, and, and water's actually dry, and the grass is actually orange type. But let me tell you something. Just because you say something, and just because you believe it with all your heart, does not make it right. Truth is something that is always true, brethren. That's, the, that's a fact. Abraham Lincoln put it this way. He said, well, what if I had a sheep and the sheep had four legs and we called its tail a leg? How many legs does the sheep have? Someone said, well, that, it has five legs. Abraham said, no. He says it still has four legs. It doesn't matter if you call that tail a leg. You can do it all you want to, but it doesn't make it a leg. The same thing goes for the truth of God's Word. I, for one, I'll stand here this evening and I'll be an advocate for absolute truth. I believe that black is black. I believe that white is white. Left is left. Right is right. In is in. And out is out. I can uh, prove all of those things. I believe that absolute truth of the Gospel can be taught. It can be learned. And it can be proven. In fact, we're holding a copy of absolute truth in our hands. We have been. It has been revealed unto us so that we may know the truth, and the truth will set us free, John 8 and verse number 32. I want to draw our attention here to John chapter 14 really fast as we think about this idea of truth. John 14, notice verse number 17 with me. The Bible says here in John 14, 17, Jesus was speaking to the disciples. He said, even the spirit of truth. John 15 and verse number 26, again, speaking of the Holy Spirit, He says, when the Comforter is come, I will send unto you from the Father even the spirit of truth. Of truth. John 16 and verse number 13. The Bible says, How be it when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth. Again, I understand that Jesus was speaking directly to the disciples, but He is referred to as the Spirit of truth. Now, what was the Holy Spirit's job in all of this? 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 10. But God has revealed them, that is, the things that are in God's mind, verses 6 and following. God has revealed them unto us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. We understand the Spirit's job was to reveal truth that originated in the mind of Almighty God. The Hebrews writer says that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. The embodiment of truth revealed through His Spirit absolute truth to us. Take it a step further. Jesus believed in absolute truth. Not only the Spirit, he, he believed in absolute truth so deeply and so strongly that He came to the earth, lived as a man, died on the cross so that He could bear witness to that truth. No matter what society says about it, it can be perceived, it can be known, and it can be believed. Number one, the perception of truth. Let's look back at Pilate's response now and notice the power of truth. As we examine here John chapter 18, we'll see the power of truth. Look again at verse number 37. Pilate therefore said unto him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. To this end was I born. And for this cause I came into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth hears my voice. 
Not only does Jesus respond back to Pilate's answer and says, well, there is absolute truth for you to believe, but he tells him that this truth has power. It has the power to do things that are far beyond your comprehension. John 3 and verse number 21 tells us a little bit about what happens when people who follow Jesus live out truth in their life. John 3 and 21, the Bible says, but he that does truth come to the light that his deeds may be made manifest and they are wrought in God. When they come to Him, when we come to Him and we embrace absolute truth, we can and will experience power in our lives. Three ways we'll experience God's power through the truth. Number one, I want you to notice John 8 and 32. I told you every idea of truth that we would examine tonight would come from the book of John. John chapter 8 and verse number 32. A passage familiar to all of us. Quote it from memory, verse number 32. Jesus says, And you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. Number one, when we examine the power of truth, notice that truth has the power to liberate us. Truth has the power to liberate us. When Jesus was giving this discourse, He was telling the hearers that that the truth had the power to literally deliver them from the bondage of their sin. We sing oftentimes, victory in Jesus. We know what it's like to be delivered out of the bonds and the power of sin. It would literally break their bonds. When you come to know the truth, you come to know something that set captives free. You come to know something that opens blind eyes. You come to to, to know something that literally fixes and heals broken and shattered hearts and it fills it with God's love and God's peace and God's joy. That's what truth is able to do, John 8 and 32. It makes us free from the bonds of sin. Just last week, I was spending some time in the hospital with one of our members who had been in and out, and she had the TV on, and uh, I don't remember what soap opera it was. In fact, I I won't even say I don't remember. I've never watched it in my life, but I remember it being a soap opera, and someone made the statement on the show, whoever said the truth will make you free is a liar. You know, I didn't give it much thought until I was on my way home and I I thought back to what that person said and I just thought how miserable and wretched that person had to have been. The the one who made that statement is, is literally all of truth. That's all his being consists of is truth. And his mission was to set the captives free. I am so thankful tonight that I've been liberated by the power of the truth, aren't you? The truth has the power to liberate us. Number two, when we think about the power of the truth, the power of the truth, it's able to separate us. It's able to liberate us, number one, John 8, 32, but the power of the truth is able to separate us. John 17 and verse number 17, the Bible says, sanctify them by thy truth, thy word is truth. John 17, verse number 17. We obviously understand the word sanctify in our New Testaments to literally mean to set apart, to to, uh, consecrate ourselves to God, to be made holy. And so when we think about this idea of separation, it's marvelous for us to comprehend the context in which that verse is found. Jesus is literally taking His disciples before the throne of God, praying that they would be of one mind and of one accord in their work. And then He takes us to His throne. He takes those who would follow Him straight to the throne of God and says, Father, please separate them according to Thy truth. 
Sin is either going to keep you from this book or this book will keep you from sin. And that's a marvelous, marvelous truth because when I commit myself to God's Word and I walk the way that God wants me to walk, Ephesians 4 and verse 1, walk worthy of the calling where you've been called, Paul says, then I will find my life becoming more cleaner, more pleasing to God. It will be easier for me to do those things which God would have me to do when I'm separated, when I'm sanctified by the truth. John 17, verse number 17. Number three, when we examine the power of truth, we notice that the truth has the power to liberate us. John 8, 32. We know that the truth has the power to separate us. John 17, verse number 17. Now I want to call your attention to John chapter 4 and notice verse number 23 beginning. Jesus is, is exchanging words with the woman at the well and you remember very well what they were talking about. She was saying, well, the tradition of my fathers was that they would go over to, to yonder mountain and worship and Jesus was trying to, to capture her, her minds and her thoughts into to one thought process. He says in verse number 23, But the hour comes, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. Verse number 24, God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Number one, the truth has the power to liberate us. Number two, the truth has the power to separate us. Number three, the truth has the power to invigorate us. Now I say it like that uh, to say this. Jesus tells the woman at the well that when you know the truth, it literally makes you want to worship. When you come to know the truth and what the truth can do, you should be motivated and prompted to praise God. God who is truly worthy of all praise. So many times you see in David's life and especially in David's writings, he's gone through all of these tragic events, especially in Psalm 51 when he's begging God to create in him a new heart, a clean heart, and renew this right, steadfast spirit in his life. And all he can do is praise and cry to God because of his goodness and his mercy that he's given to him. When we know the truth about what God's done and what God does, surely we ought to be invigorated and motivated to praise Him and acknowledge Him for everything. Real worship, true worship, devoted worship comes from a heart that's been saturated in truth. It's come, it comes from a heart that, that spends time meditating in the truth. Real, real worship comes about when I give myself in commitment and trust to knowing and intimately studying God's Word. When we comprehend who Jesus is. When we comprehend what, comprehend rather what Jesus does and is doing, it will leave us in no other position than to be humbly at His feet. We sing the song sometimes, All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. All to Jesus I surrender. Humbly at His feet I bow. You know, I think we have too many members in the church that sing every Sunday, All to Jesus I surrender, and they're not willing to surrender a thing. When it comes to the truth, the truth has the power to liberate us. It has the power to separate us, but it gives us this new motivation. This motivation that the world doesn't have. Not that we should be boastful about it, but friends, we should quit walking around, look like we've been baptized in pickle juice, and look like we've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. 
You know, someone said one time that I want to be so full of Jesus that if a mosquito bit me, he would fly away singing, there's power in the blood. Why don't Christians live that way? I just don't understand. The truth has the power to invigorate us. What does Isaiah say in Isaiah 40 and 31? They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like His eagles. They shall walk and not be weary. They shall run and not faint. The idea of us being elevated and energized in Jesus because of the truth. Until we know the truth about Him, until we have have committed ourselves to knowing the truth, we can't truly worship Him. There is nothing like putting a fresh spark in your worship than by knowing, saturating yourself, meditating in the truth. Number three. When we think about this idea of knowing the truth and proclaiming it in our lives, uh, applying it in our lives, we notice first of all that there is a perception of the truth. Some people that we deal with say that truth is relative. You you feel one way about it and I feel the other. That's kind of how Pilate was feeling. He asked Jesus, what then is truth? If there's actually any truth to believe, then we notice that there's power in the truth. Jesus tells him, this is the whole reason I came, to bear witness of the truth. Number three, we draw our attention to this idea, the personality of truth. Read with me in verse number 38 of John chapter 18. Pilate said unto him, what then is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and said unto them, I find in him no fault at all. Up until this point, we have studied and thought along the idea of what truth really is. And we know why it exists. We know what it can do in our lives. But now where we'll focus our attention is where to find truth. Now, I thought it was interesting that the, the description that was on the topic was to proclaim God's Word as truth. I, I don't know many people in here. There are some of your faces that I've met before that I'm familiar with, and then there are others that I have gotten to know on a more personal basis. And I would say that this is a congregation of people that does proclaim God's truth. But, but we can all find areas in our lives where we do better to apply God's truth. And so I'm thankful for this uh, particular topic... And this is where we'll draw our application. Number one, when we think about the personality of truth, let's notice first of all that the Scripture is truth. Again, we'll call our attention to John 17, verse 17, where Jesus in His prayer to God, praying for the disciples, praying for Himself, praying for His followers, He says, Sanctify them through Thy truth. Now underline this phrase, Thy word is truth. Truth is found, number one, in the Scriptures. Everything that we have discussed tonight, everything that you will discuss from this point on, on this Wednesday night summer series, everything that you'll discuss any time that you walk through these doors of this building stands or falls right here. If the Bible is in fact inspired, if it is infallible, if it is inerrant as it claims, 2 Timothy 3 and verse number 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, literally breathed out by God. If that's the truth, then it and it alone is the final authority. It's the standard of living, underline this, for every single man. Member of the church, not member of the church. Black man, white man alike. It is the standard of authority for 
all mankind. Now, when we think about this, that excludes the opinions of men. That excludes the musing of great philosophers. That excludes the teachings of all these great religious orators. And that, that tells us that the Bible is the final matter onto everything in life. However, if the Bible is something that is wrong and it's something that we cannot believe, then our foundations are destroyed. Then that means that we can have no faith. That means that we have no hope. We have no reason to live. And ultimately, it means that this world just simply has no rules. Every man did which was right in his own eyes, it says, in the period of the judges. And that's exactly what would happen today if the Bible was wrong and could not be believed. But let me put it this way for you. I think in more plain terms when it comes to this idea. When a child sits in a classroom in an elementary, middle school, high school class and hears that the earth is billions of years old and that man evolved from this single cell organism over millions of years, foundation has been destroyed. When, when we look at this particular idea, if God did not make man in His own image, then it wouldn't be wrong to kill babies through abortion. It wouldn't be wrong to murder and rape people because we're all just animals. If we really evolved, then there would be no sin, there would be no right and wrong because there are absolutely no absolutes. You might as well live just like you want to because if the Bible was wrong, there'd be no hell. There is no judgment. There is no accounting. There's no afterlife. If the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis are not true, then you might as well throw out the whole Bible. If the words in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, are wrong, then you might as well forget John 3.16 where it says, God so loved the world. When we take commandments like love your neighbor as yourself or love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, Matthew twenty two thirty seven and following. When we take commands like Hebrews 10 and 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as not relevant, relevant for today, we have undermined the foundations. When our lives tell society that the Bible can't be trusted, we undermine the foundations. When we treat the Bible like a giant buffet, picking and choosing whatever it is we like and discarding what we don't, we undermine foundations. When we look at these things that um, undermine foundations, the price we pay for it is haughtiness and there's an absence of the truth in America. There's an absence of the truth in the church. Do you see why being able to trust the Bible is so important for Christians? Uh, do you see why being able to trust the truth of God's Word, the absolute truth, is so important? Because in its pages, we learn who God is. We learn what God does. We learn about the creation of mankind. We learn about sin. We learn about salvation, good, evil, and the family. If that foundation is destroyed, and it's well on its way in our country, in our schools, and even in our churches, if that foundation is destroyed, there is no basis of truth, and then everybody will be right and nobody would be wrong. But thank God we can trust the truth. 
Thank God we can trust His Word. It's the Word of God. It's inspired. It's not wrong. There's no error that can invade it. In fact, Isaiah says it this way, The Word of God endures forever. The grass will fade away. The flowers will wither. But the Word of God will stand forever. Isaiah 40 and verse number 8. David said, Psalm 119, verse number 89, Thy Word is settled in heaven forever. Thanks be to God for that thought. The Word of God is settled in heaven forever. The Scriptures, as we look at the personality of truth, the Scriptures are true. Now let's notice our attention on John 14 and verse number 6. John 14, verse number 6. Now this particular passage of Scripture is also very familiar to us. In the very first verse, Jesus gives this wonderful comforting thought, Let not your heart be troubled, but believe in God. Believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place, I'll come again and receive you unto Myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And He says, Wherever I go, you'll know the way. And Thomas said unto Him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. And how will we know? Verse number 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. We mentioned just a moment ago that the Scriptures are truth. Now let's turn our attention to the Savior. The Savior is truth. John 14 and verse number 6. If we can, we can follow the Scriptures, John uh, chapter uh, 8 and verse number 32, John 17 verse 17, now we can also follow the Savior. Jesus here in John 14 is calling His attention, calling Thomas's attention to the fact that He and He alone is the real deal. Jesus was and is the embodiment of truth. John chapter 1 and verse number 14, the Bible tells us that the Word became flesh, verse 14, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Now, underline this. Full of grace and truth. Verse 17. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. All of other saviors, all other, all other doctrines, they would just merely be pretenders. It doesn't matter how many followers that Joel Osteen or T.D. Jakes or all the way down the line. It doesn't matter how many followers that those people have because, and it also doesn't matter how sincere their followers are. For that matter, Jesus and Jesus alone is the way of truth. Jesus and Jesus alone is the way to life. And that's what we learn in God's absolute truth. Jesus and Jesus alone is the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. Jesus and Jesus alone is truth. All other men are liars. All other methods are lies. And they lead you directly down the broad way that leadeth unto destruction, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus alone is the door that leads unto eternal life. I'll tell you, if there are anyone, if this is online or I don't know or or whatever, but if we were to bring our friends in from the world or if anyone who wasn't a member of the church tonight and they heard some of the things that we might have discussed, a lot of people in the world, they wouldn't like that truth, would they? They wouldn't like to know that there is an absolute truth. And whether they feel the same way about it, whether they agree with it, whether they like it, this is truth. And, And I'll tell you something, it's still going to be true whether they like it or not. Whether they choose to believe it or not, it's still God's absolute truth. Now, some of you who are older in years, Mike can help me on this after it's over. But I heard a quote 
on a YouTube clip from a sermon. Uh, well, actually, it was a, a clip that someone uh, was using in their sermon, but it was a talk show, and the guy's name was Dick Cavett, I assume. Is it Cavett or Cavett? I don't know. I asked my dad, and he didn't know either. But uh, I know it was a really... Well, I won't say that. I might get in trouble. It was an older TV show. And so some of you who are older in years might can help me with the pronunciation of that name. But the Archbishop of Canterbury was on the show, and he was speaking to the actress. Jane Fonda, that particular episode. And the Archbishop of Canterbury said to her, Jesus is the Son of God, you know. And her response to him was, maybe he is for you, but he is not for me. And his response to her as he looked her in the eyes and says, well, either he is or he isn't. You see, that's the response of the world today. He may be your Savior. He may be your judge, but he's not mine. Either he is or he isn't. God's Word, God's Gospel is absolute. It is under no circumstances, no situation relative to any person at any time. When we understand that, we know the difference between night and day. We know the difference between in and out. We know the difference between black and white. We know the difference between saved and lost. What is truth? The Bible is truth. What is truth? Jesus is truth. What is truth? Heaven is truth. What is truth? Salvation is truth. And we could go on and on and on. And if we accept those as truth in our life, if we make those things the standard for which we live, then we have absolutes. But if you reject them, then there are no absolutes. You can do whatever it is you please, but it does not change the fact, nor will it ever, that the Bible is God's truth. What do we sing in VBS and kids songs? The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. And as old as you are, that word will, that song will never lose its meaning. Does that mean I have five minutes? All right. Well, I'll go ahead and start wrapping it up then. I had a lot more I wanted to say. When I think about the truths that we've learned tonight, simply from Pilate's question, what is truth? A lot of people perceive truth in a different way. Do they not? They say, oh, you just believe that way. That's just the way you interpreted Scripture. God's Word is not relative. It is absolute. The power of the truth is this. It has the power to liberate us, John 8 and 32. We can know it and it will make us free. Bank on it. We can know that it's going to set us apart. It will separate us, so to speak, John 17, 17. We know that it will invigorate or motivate us, John 4 and 24. And as we've directed our thoughts to this idea, the personality of the truth, the Scriptures speak to its truth, and the Savior speaks to its truth. So the things of God, they're true whether we accept them or not. I'm so grateful this evening for the invitation to be here. I'm grateful for the time that we've had to study God's Word. I hope that as we leave here, we can have a deeper appreciation for the absolute truth of God's Word. That whatever situation that we're in, as Isaiah said, the Word of God stands forever. That means no matter how terrible things look at your work, that, matter no, that, that means no matter how terrible things look on Capitol Hill, that doesn't mean, uh, or it means no matter how terrible things look on CNN or NBC or whatever it might be, God's Word stands forever. Proclaim God's truth, God's Word as truth and do our very best to apply those things in our life. I appreciate your kind attention and I'm so grateful for the invitation.